What's up, Dreadheads? I'm John. And I'm Joe. And welcome to episode 42 of Spread the Dread podcast. We are covering Alan. He's from Canada, Joe, so I don't know <laughs> if it's Alan Legier, Alan Legier, <laughs> or whatever. Know. But I'm going to, because we're from fucking America and you've been in the South long enough to have our same speech impediments, <laughs> I'm going to call him Alan Legier, the monster of the Miramichi. Uh, everyone, Big numbers for episode 41, Colin Ireland, the Gay Slayer. If you haven't listened to that one yet, go check it out. And then, of course, the revamp of Fright Flick, Fuck, Mary Kill, where me and my brother Jay, we covered the house that Jack built. That's up now on all of the, uh, the podcast apps that we put our show on. But you're going to want to check it out on YouTube and BitChute because this is the first time that Spread the Dread is actually doing a video episode. And if you're wondering why Joe's not a part of it, She's a busy-ass fucking mom and nursing school. She took this past semester off. That fires back up in January, but she's doing a lot of studying for that test. Yes, yes. So, yeah, so, you know, uh, you know, I, I'm a fucking loser. I have a full-time job, but not much going for me outside of this. So, I, so I, <laughs> That's I, terrible to say. I, so I could find the time to do it, but definitely go check those out. Speaking of Fright Flick, Fuck, Mary Kill, this upcoming Friday... We're going to have an episode where we're going to review Terrifier 1. Now, on Halloween, next Monday, the 31st, Terrifier 2 is going to start streaming on Screambox. If you're not aware of Screambox, that is Bloody Disgusting's streaming horror movie platform. Of course, Bloody Disgusting, very integral into getting Terrifier 2 made. It's been crushing it in limited runs in the theater right now. But if you do subscribe to that, that's going to be available on Halloween. So the Friday after Halloween, there's going to be a Fright Flick Fuck Mary Kill where we're covering Terrifier 2. So we are going to bring out October and bring in the fucking season of thanks. Being thankful for fucking gross ass, gory ass fucking horror flicks starring clowns that are much more menacing than Pennywise. Yeah, I said it. Shots fired, motherfucker. <laughs> um, Joe. Let's uh, go ahead for everyone, because this is actually going to be kind of a short episode, and you'll understand why once we, we uh, start uh, getting into the notes on Alan Legear. Uh, but for everyone who's new or not new, the one-stop place on the internet to check out all things dreadful is... SpreadTheDreadPodcast.com. And what are they going to find there, Joe? They're going to find direct links to all the most popular podcast platforms, as well as our donation tiers, our merchandise store, and, of course, to BitChute and YouTube. Absolutely. No matter where you are in the world, no matter what format you use, you go there. Hell, there's even a podcast player on the website if you want to be one of those people who don't download apps. It is all right there. SpreadTheDreadPodcast.com. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and IG. And of course, you can always do the old school fashioned email. That's starting to go the way of fucking snail mail at this point. But that's SpreadTheDreadPodcast at gmail.com. Before we wrap it up, we got two shout outs this week, Joe. I wanted to shout out a really cool artist that he's dreadhead as fuck already but he's on ig at the paper prophet p-r-o-p-h-e-t does tremendous original artwork he is not paying us a goddamn thing to say this i actually asked for his permission because his sales are probably going to decline now that he's on this show (laughs) Uh, but i didn't tell him that but he's gonna know soon enough definitely go check him out for some really cool unique and original horror art again that is the paper prophet p-r-o-p-h-e-t 
on IG, and we have to call out. I got a goddamn YouTube notification come through and fuck up my fucking notes, sons of bitches. <laughs> the last shout-out we want to give is to a real official brand-new Dreadhead, and that is Marcos Rodriguez. He gave us a five-star review uh, on Spotify, and so we got some free stickers coming his way. Again, if you want your own free stickers, give a five-star review on Spotify or Apple. Send us a screenshot along with your mailing address, and we'll kick that out to you. He says, I fucking love y'all. Y'all are funny. Y'all kill me. He uses y'all a lot. So as a Southern boy, I absolutely love it. And he actually found us on YouTube. And that's goddamn near impossible. I know. Right? If you don't listen to this show. So big kudos to Marcos Rodriguez. Everybody be sure to fucking show him some love as he's the new member of the Dreadhead family. That wraps up all of the bullshit that all of y'all hate me fucking doing. Because if I'm not shouting y'all out, you want to fucking talk shit about it. But Marcos and Paper uh, Profit and, of course, our website deserve the time. Joe, you ready? Yes. Let's plow right into what's going to be a short but very sweet episode about Alan Laguerre, the monster of the Miramichi. So let's get right into it, and I'm going to shoot it over like we always do to Joe for the bio, as only she knows how to do, and it's a fucking short one this week, <laughs> Dreadheads. Yeah, so Alan Joseph Laguerre was born in Chatham, New Brunswick on February 13th, We're 1948. You, you fucking Canucks thought you could fucking... <laughs> No, no. Believe me, per volume, America has your ass. Because we're number one in everything, apparently. Uh, but we had to make sure that this is why I wanted to fucking bring every That's like a Canadian serial killer. Ooh. <laughs> that's well, like we haven't fucking... done one since the Ken and Barbie killers. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, Paul Hamolka and, Car- no, Paul Bernardo and, and Carla Hamolka. Hamolka. Mm-hmm. That's a fucking, that's one of our best uh, performing episodes. So yeah. if you haven't uh, listened to that one. Definitely go check that out. Yeah, but Joe, let's get back to, to Alan Joseph Laguerre. Yeah, so born a day after you. Well, in 1948, <laughs> I'm not yeah. quite that fucking yeah. old, but yeah, I'm oh, But it's there. interesting. It's an Aquarius. Yeah, oh. oh, yeah. So We little... are fucking, we are <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. Well, obviously, little's known um, actually about Laguerre's life uh, prior to his first arrest. Yes, um, they, and I mean, this one, I... I I didn't. I won't say I had. I pulled more sources, but I. I definitely checked a lot more sources than normal, solely just to try to find anything yeah. about his background. This guy was completely off the fucking map until then, and and I, so I much just, Canadian shame. They like buried it. I don't know. Or either the, like the family wouldn't talk, or there just wasn't a lot of shit going on. I mean, usually when we talk about our killers, there's a whole plethora of shit that happened in their childhood and their young adulthood. That made total sense of what they turned out, but I'm not saying that shit didn't happen. I'm just saying, like, no, it's not fucking out there. And if you find it, feel free to pass it on. But I was going, I was clicking on some pretty shady links and was pretty worried by the time I could even dig what you're about to give them. Yeah, I mean, okay, but so, but overall, they do say he didn't have like the best of up upbringing in his early stages of his life, and you know, he had experienced rejection from his family, and he grew up with a father. And without was, a father. Without a father, sorry. It was only being raised by his mother. Not a um, knock at anybody no, out there. No, no. We're just giving you all of the information yeah, that we can find about yeah, his absolutely. Um, He uh, also had a brother that almost, um, there was like nothing in the research no, about him either, no, but be, he does be, have a sibling. Yeah, to be fair, I, that even could be fucking fake. I was able to find a couple of places that mentioned him having a sibling, uh. but I mean, I couldn't even find I mean, fucking... really, are you going to come out of the woodwork, though, and be like, yeah, that's my brother? <laughs> I'm 
not going to claim them. I, I mean, fair <laughs> Hell, enough. I got siblings I don't claim now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, true. Very true. But yeah, I mean, I, yeah. So, I mean, that's that's still up in the air if you even had a brother. I found a couple of places that did reference the brother, but st- still couldn't find a name. Yeah. Um, now, before his first arrest, he was working as a shoe salesman and as a car salesman in Winchester, Ottawa. Yep. And I mean, literally dreadheads. Shoe that's why salesman. I, that would make, I don't know. I, I couldn't imagine dealing with people's nasty fucking feet and Look fixing what it did out. to Al Bundy on it, Married with thank Children. Thank you. That's exactly what goes to my head. I was like, I do not want to deal with them nasty ass <laughs> right. fucking feet all day. That'd make me want to kill somebody. Right. I don't know if Canadians have nicer feet than ours, but I'm going to say it's <laughs> at least a, it's at least a break even. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's it, Dreadheads. Again, why, why I said this is going to be a shorter episode is solely because of that. But now we're going to get into the part where Alan Laguerre, you're going you're gonna to see or hear yeah, you're not going to see this because we're not recording this fucking <laughs> line. You know what the fuck I'm saying, Dreadheads? You're going to hear why I found him so... You're burn on work today. I know, I know. Why I found him so interesting, Joe. So, so let's get into um, June 21st of 1986. Now, Alan Laguerre uh, and two accomplices, Todd Machette and Scott Curtis, they robbed a convenience store uh, in Black River Bridge, New Brunswick. Now, they... It's a they, hell of a sa- uh, city name. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna. I'm going to assume there's a river called the Black River nearby, and maybe it has a bridge. <laughs> Way to fucking swing for the fences on that one, New Brunswick. Uh, after cutting the power to the convenience store, the men broke into the store where they were met by the owners. Joe, this was an mm. elderly couple named John and Mary Glendening. Okay, yeah. So they ended up being severely beaten, and Mary ended up, uh, she was actually sex, uh, sexually assi- assaulted by all three men. Yes. God damn it. I can't even get words out right now. <laughs> Why? I don't know. <laughs> all right, well, I'll take over it. You yeah. try to, I don't know, cut off your tongue and see if you can get a new one. I- yeah, so they, they did. They, they severely beat um, John Glenn Denning uh, and Mary as well, and then uh, sexually assaulted her, and then they fled the scene. Now, uh, Glenn actually did die from the injuries sustained <sighs> during the beating. Mary Glenn Denning, however, regained consciousness, and you know she saw that her husband was was basically dead next to her, or you know thereabout. Uh, she crawled up the stairs. To a phone and dialed 911. I guess that's 911. I don't know if Canada does 911 as well. I know some of them are different. I, I don't know. I don't fucking know. She called the fucking cops, dreadheads, and the dispatcher spoke with her on the phone until the police actually arrived. Yeah, so end up, uh, the police were able to track down all three men and obviously arrested him. Uh, Machette, Todd Machette, he ended up pleading guilty to murdering uh, John Glendening and brutally beating his wife. Uh, but Scott Curtis and Alan Legary pleaded not guilty but were convicted at trial. So they tried skirting it and right. obviously they didn't get away with it. But uh, Legary actually was specifically sentenced to life in prison from a conviction of se- second degree murder on January 26 uh 20 this is 22nd i know i january 22nd of 1987 (laughs) now this brings us up to august 8th of 1987 where laguerre uh failed in a bid to reverse his murder conviction before the new brunswick court of appeal so this is actually where it kind of gets interesting. Oh, yeah. So he was serving As his life sentence. beating an elderly couple to death wasn't interesting. Yeah. But you see what we've got. That was a we, poor choice of words. You see what we do for a living. So we're just like, eh, yeah. that's kind of normal. <laughs> that's not shit. Um, so he's obviously he's serving his life sentence. Um, he's at actually at the Atlantic Institution. Uh, it's a maximum security pen um, in Reno's, Reno's, 
Coryville? I, I don't know. I, I, I always want to sure try to put a French accent on everything. Well, but I do know some of. I, I, I think later he served some time in Quebec or something like. But I can't remember. I would probably say yeah, the Renault Coryville uh, Maximum Security Penitentiary under the respo- uh, responsibility of the Correctional Services of Canada, the CSC. CSC. Yeah, CSC. So now on May third, nineteen eighty nine, Legary was transported by CSC personnel from the penitentiary to the office of Doctor George L. Dumont. Uh, no, that's not an office. That's the name of the hospital. Wow. Yeah, it's the Doctor George L. Dumont. Regional Hospital in Moncton, New Brunswick. It sounded so fancy. I thought it would be a, just the doctor's name. God damn. Well, I mean, it was a, it was a doctor's no, name. No, no, I'm just I, saying just the doctor's office. Usually they don't name big-ass hospitals after someone until they fucking croaked. Yeah. So I'm going to assume uh, Dr. Dumont was dead by now. But yeah, that was in Moncton, New Brunswick. And this was for the treatment of an ear infection. Yeah, so Laguerre, he ends up managing to convince, convince the CSC personnel to let him actually use a washroom at the hospital by himself, and there is yeah. where he was actually able to pick the lock on his handcuffs. Yeah. And, yeah, he had actually concealed a sharpened piece of metal in his rectum. Big and- oh yeah, rectum damn near killed him. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how big they, they, they some places called it a shiv, but he used it to pick locks. And I'm like, I, I don't, I, when I think of shiv, I think of makeshift knife. Yeah. And you're Small, not shiv, pointy. You know, I think of, yeah, picking locks, I'm thinking like a bobby pin or something like yeah. that. But yeah, he, either I'm way, still, dude, I'm still interested. I'm still surprised he didn't end up uh, pepper, uh, perforating his rectum. I, yeah, I mean, he had been in prison for a little bit. Maybe he had some room. Oh, yeah, maybe okay. he, maybe someone fucking was sweet on him up in there, and you know he got trained or whatever. But yeah, I, <laughs> all right. Way, so he had, that, he, he was had able, a shiv of a sugar pot. All yeah, right, <laughs> and, he was, and he was able to pick the locks on all of his restraints. Yeah, so he ended up obviously comes out. He threatens the personnel with a shiv and holds up uh, Peggy Olive as hostage to keep everyone present enough at the distance while escaping from the hospital. Um, releasing Olive around the time he sped off in her car. Yeah, so he he basically, you know, got her threatening to kill her, so everyone stand mm-hmm. back. Gets her out to the parking lot, I would assume, or either she had her car keys on her either way. But yeah, so he ends up stealing her car to leave. Laguerre escaped the hospital property um, and through a combination of like carjackings and motor vehicle thefts just was yeah just fucking bouncing around from vehicle to vehicle maybe as a car salesman he had gotten accustomed to being able to pick locks i mean we're talking that about that makes sense yeah i mean we're talking about the late 80s here so you're not dealing with a lot of automatic locks and shit like that so maybe that was why he was so adept at being able to steal cars but he was able to actually evade getting recaptured for enough time for him to be warranted to be on an episode of Spread the Dread. Yeah, so Laguerre, he's a he's on the run, and he was actually at large for around seven months. Yep. And although he was on the run, he the last you know known place where he was at was in New Brunswick. That was his. That's where they supposed he resided. Right. The, and, the province. The province. The yeah. region. I don't know how you say that. Well, shit, I mean, New Brunswick's so. not the the biggest of provinces. It's not you know like if you you know like what like. Uh, Ontario and shit like that. Yeah. You know, it's it's a much smaller one. Um, obviously, that leaves the entire region terrified. I mean, folks were kind of shacking up together. Family and friends were living together. Obviously, safety in numbers. Uh, trick-or-treating was canceled that year. That is a goddamn abomination. I know. It's <laughs> so terrible. Um, a lot of the residents were even sleeping with their firearms and installing floodlights in their yards. And the Royal Canadian Mounted Police launched the largest manhunt in the province's history. 
Now, during this time, Laguerre committed four additional murders in and around the towns of Chatham, Newcastle, and adjoining communities near the Miramichi River. Yes, and so I found this out. Apparently, there, I mean, there is a town called Miramichi or mm. Miramachi or whatever, uh, but it wasn't like a town proper, apparently, at that time. Mm. So when we refer to the monster of the Miramichi, it's because all of his stuff took place in and around that area. If you don't like the name, Talk to Canada. That's what they came up with. <laughs> this isn't one of those instances where we had to make up a name for someone. Uh, like next week's episode will be where we're going to be covering the pedo cannibal chef, oh. Nathaniel Bar Jonah. But so, yeah, but so it's not referring to the town, it's referring to the river. The, to the river, yeah. So on May 29th, 1989, Laguerre attacked a shopkeeper Annie Flam and her sister Nina in Chatham. Annie was murdered and Nina was beaten and raped. And before that, uh, their home was set on fire to destroy the scene. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nina was actually luckily rescued in time by first responders. So she didn't die from, from all the stuff that, that Laguerre had done to her and she did not perish in the fire. Um, but, and then he cools his jet for yeah, a couple he, he months. He kind of goes dormant yeah. for a few months. And around that time he had an appeal that was actually in the process before he escaped. Yeah. So uh, his appeal, uh, this this led his appeal to being an appeal in absentia for his first conviction. Uh, and uh, this was the one, the first murder that he committed with the other two guys, uh, the second degree that he had already gotten life for. Uh, it was shot down, obviously, by the Canadian Supreme Court on October 1st uh, as Laguerre was refused a ruling because he wasn't in custo- custody. Uh, custody. Yeah. Um, though uh, no confirmed murders occurred during this time, uh, it, it is well-known and speculated that Laguerre committed numerous carjackings, vehicle thefts, and, of course, assaults on the people when when stealing their cars and shit like that to stay on the run. Yeah, so a few months later, on October 13th, 1989, Laguerre broke into the home of uh, the sisters Donna and Linda uh, Downey? Donnie? Yeah, Donnie, Downey, something like that. D-A-U-G-H-N-E-Y. Yeah, there he raped and murdered them both before also setting their house on fire. Yep. And Laguerre's final confirmed murder happened on November 16th, 1989, of a father, James Smith, who was a Roman Catholic priest. Uh, he was actually killed in the rectory of his own damn church, the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary Church in Chatham Hill. Why do Catholics have such long church names? I don't fucking well, I didn't know. I didn't know your mom was Catholic, so I didn't know when you all went Yeah, to- and I paid a lot of attention to that. <laughs> Clearly, I mean, yeah, look who you ended up with and what we're talking about right now. But uh, when you guys would go to mass and shit, uh, I know y'all mostly did that back when you were up in Illinois. Were were the church's names pretty long then? Like our blessed mother of fucking wheat fields in Iowa and shit like that? I don't even remember the one I went to as a kid. We went so infrequently. Right, I just knew it was in Heron. She was one of them CEO Catholics. Oh, yeah. uh, Christmas and Easter only. No, she didn't even do that. She only did Christmas. Like Christmas Eve. That was it. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, mom doesn't believe that you have to be in a church in order to, you know, praise God. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. The Phil- the Filipinos have their own version of Roman Catholicism. Yeah, so. I just call it Filipino Catholicism, but <laughs> yeah, whatever. Exactly, exactly. Now, Laguerre made off with valuables from the safe in the church, and he, of course, jacked Check Father car. Smith's car and fucking fled again. Now, this leads us up to November 24th of 1989. Joe, what happens? Oh, he carjacks a taxi driver, a truck driver, and even an off-duty constable, um, which started off in uh, St. John, and he ended up making all the way to the outside of Rogersville, 
He was trying to make it to Moncton before he was arrested by the Royal Canadian uh, Mounted Police at a blockade they had actually set up. Yeah, now, Laguerre was originally cooperating when they got him. He was, you know, kind of like, all right, you got me. You fucking got me. But he gets pissed off. Well, yeah, because uh, they were, they aggressively subdued him naturally. Like, yeah. you were, fuck, you escaped from a second degree murder life sentence. Pretty sure they know you've been fucking just wreaking havoc and shit like that. You know, that would have been fun as shit just to slam the fuck out of him. Like, you bastard. You fucking raping people. Fuck you. Fuck you. I'm fucking putting, yeah, I'm going to put the boots to you fucking medium style and above at fucking least. Yeah, so he was like sitting there trying to fight him off, striking back. You know, they're over there fucking knocking and pinning him down to the ground. Now, they're the reward. There was a reward, John? There were multiple (laughs) rewards. Yeah, so I guess, you know, obviously when you're doing a a big manhunt, this was like, one of the largest manhunts ever. I think it was the largest at that time. It could still be in that in province, that, yeah, yeah, in that area. Uh, yeah, so I mean, obviously they had you know reward posters and shit like that on the news and in the newspapers and stuff like that. So if you actually provided any information that eventually led to his arrest, so yeah, apparently you know again he's out there carjacking people, and from what we see, nobody that he was like carjacking it with an intent to be able to you know get a car and you know move further along. He never killed any of those. Now, he did beat them up and shit like that, but it was all about getting the car. Yeah. So, more than likely, it was someone refusing to cooperate. I wonder what's in Moncton, then. That's what I'd be curious about. I was like, why he thought he'd have safe haven there if he was just trying to get there. Yeah, I mean, that just could have been the next step. I mean, obviously, this, I mean, the only smart thing this guy did was shove a metal shiv up his ass (laughs) and was able to pick his locks, you know? So, and I mean, that's still questionable at best, you know, particularly when you've, you know, rightfully so, been given a life sentence for what the fuck they did. But either way, yeah, uh, multiple citizens received this award, uh, this reward, because it did lead to him actually being arrested. So, Joe, tell us about the uh, the, the sec this trial, <laughs> second trial, and second set of convictions for Alan Laguerre. Yeah, so he was convicted August of uh, 1990 on escape charges, and he actually received nine additional years to his life sentence from the original ni- uh, 1987. Right, uh, he already charges. had a life sentence, so they were just like, look, I mean, he's only got one life, so I guess, you know, just in Tack case... Tack on zo- nine more. In case zombies become a real fucking thing, let's give him nine more, <laughs> just so that even then, if he comes out of the fucking grave, we put him back in the cell. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, he was indicted and convicted on murder charges, uh, in November of 1990, and the trial being the first time a Canadian prosecution actually used DNA profiling to convict instead of like exonerate. That's such a Canadian thing. Uh, you know, the we're moment- going to do good with all the DNA, right? Like you know, <laughs> as soon as like the American criminal justice system got DNA testing, they were like, "Holy shit, we're going to be able to make our jobs a lot easier locking fuckers up." Yeah, no. Canada, Canada's just up there being like, "Fuck oh, those can, people sitting." Yeah, we could just make sure that you know. Make sure that nobody's, you know, possibly wrong place, wrong time kind of thing. <laughs> Love you fucking Canada. Well, you guys are fucking wacky. So um, in 96, the provincial jail in Fredericton, um, where Laguerre was held during his trial, was actually turned into a science and museum. Yep. And his cell became an exhibit for DNA profiling and forensic investigations, which I thought was really cool. Well, yeah, because that was what you were originally going for when you first got out of high school was forensic mm-hmm. pathology. But yeah, again, and, and again, this is why i I mean we're we're getting close to wrapping this episode up dreadheads and we weren't lying about it being short but in terms of you know history of serial killers there's not that much impressive about him he he has a small body count there it wasn't you know 
Again, hold on for next fucking week. Like, <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. You know, that episode's going to... Episode 43 is going to be a fucking gross banger. <laughs> but in, in terms of Canadian history of serial killers, and not only that, but Canadian criminology, law enforcement, and everything, this guy was a big fucking deal yeah. to the point where, like I said, they, they basically made a museum out of his cell to kind of... You know, honor. Like, look what or, we can do with DNA now, right? Yeah, you know, just to kind of fucking that's a, that's a historical moment in their, you know, especially in their criminal justice system up there. Yeah. This guy played a pivotal role, you know, in that. Yeah, so that kind of we're getting a little bit more into the you know modern days. So, oh yeah, because he's still alive, motherfucker. Yeah, he's still alive. He hasn't yeah. been able to shove metal up his ass and get an ear infection again, so he's still locked <laughs> up, but he's still kicking. Uh, so in in 2015, he was actually transferred from a ma- uh, super maximum security penitentiary in Saint Anne des Plaines, Quebec, to a maximum security pen in Edmonton, Alberta, where he is actually obviously held to this day. In August of 2020. Uh, uh, Miramichi, Miramachi, I don't know how you say that, was set on edge when Legary motioned for a day of parole, but well, no, he it was, was... It's, it's for day parole, so I... Basically, there's... You know, I'm sorry, a day of parole, day parole. It's like where you get well, to yeah. go out and kind of handle right, some business right. and you yeah. have to so, go back. So he was still... It, it wasn't going to overturn his life sentence. No. But yeah, he would have been able, I guess, to have gotten out. I don't know if he would have been... I don't know what that means in Canada. I don't... Hell, I don't know what that means here because I know some people have it and they still have very limited shit they can do during the day, but like sometimes that can also be a reference to like those who can actually go out and do um, whether it's like picking up trash or shit, shit like that. They they would actually get out during the day mm-hmm. and then have to report. But back. yeah, but they don't usually allow that from like max uh, maximum security here in the United States. Well, don't so. fucking worry because parole was denied yeah. at a hearing on January thirty first of twenty twenty one. And as we said, uh, he remains incarcerated again. He came up from, um, oh shit, no, I doubled that again. Yeah, yeah, sorry. He was originally going up for the parole on January 13th mm-hmm. of 20, or he, he had another one for Ju- uh, January 13th of 2021, and that one was denied in G- on January 30th. Uh, Good, they didn't even have to deliberate very long. They well, were like, hell I just, no. I just want to know what the parole system is like in Canada. Usually, like, for someone like that, what is it, like, every five, ten years or, or more, especially for someone with a life sentence or a convicted murder charge? Well, here they, they can appeal, but yeah, they're, yeah, pr- no, parole, no. Uh-uh. I just don't understand why they, why, I mean, again, I, I understand that, you know, the community was, like, worried, okay, like, fuck. Obviously, they were worried because if he gets day parole, this motherfucker was able to escape, escape with last a, time, a piece like, of metal up yeah. his ass and an ear infection. Like, you guys just start letting him fucking gallivant around town and go get some fucking burgers and shit like that. I don't think he's going to come back. Well, it makes me think, though, too, he's trying to play off of his age. I mean, he's like, what, 74-ish by this point, 73. He's born in 48. So he may have been trying to kind of play his age, be like, hey, I'm I'm this age now. You know, I should be able to get a day out. And at least Canadians oh, were well, smart enough to be no, like, fuck was, you. He was born in 48. So what, to 2008, that'd be 60 years, 2018. Yeah, so he was in his early 70s. Yeah, that's and what I'm saying. And he's in his mid-70s now, so I, I get that, but you can't fucking... Crazy doesn't fucking age out. Right. And again, it's not like we're talking about... I mean, again, obviously, with the, with the first murder of uh, the Glenn Dennings uh, at the convenience store, I, I, the, the, the whole sexual assault and beating thing, all that other stuff aside, and I don't want to put it aside... You can maybe say something about that, about a group mentality, if you showed any kind of psychiatric changes and things like that. But 
dude, you fucking escaped and you were out for like six, seven months and you racked up four more kills and God knows how many other people you may could have killed in the event of like carjackings and stuff like that. And again, like that. Or the maybe case, even people who were sexually assaulted didn't come forward. Well, and that's or maybe they didn't get pinned together. You don't really know what right. the numbers are. Right. And that's the thing is, that, yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. You really don't know. And then again, I mean, what that what was it? Nina, that sister. When he lit fire, luckily she she was able to be gotten out before him. He didn't kill her in the process of beating her and raping her, and but she he still I'm sure when he lit the fire up, boom, get rid of the evidence. And if again going from the fact that I'm pretty sure that when they they beat and assaulted the Glenn Dennings, they probably left thinking Mary Glenn Denning was dead. Yeah, I and think so too. So then, okay, well now they I'm didn't know about the fucking mirror test. Like, come on, goddamn. I don't know, man. I check a pulse or fucking something. I, I but I'm, again, heat of the moment kind of shit and stuff like that. So I would imagine that's where he started doing the fires. But then he abandoned that for like his last two kills and didn't even do that. I mean. It's just a fucking nut job. Yeah, I was about to say, with it being such a spree, I, I think that's the most interesting part of it because it was like so many crimes in such a short period of time. Right, because, I mean, he could have escaped. There was no calculation. That's why everything looks so messy, and then it seems like the upkeep or like the uh, cleaning up after himself was such a second thought. Right, right, which, which leads to the fact of like this, I, there's no reason to think that he's going to be well enough at any time. Yeah. And even if you want to do the whole argument of like, I'm old, old and frail, I'm old and frail you now. You yeah, somebody else. Yeah, the yeah. fucking Glenn Dennings were old and fucking frail. And Mary was a fucking badass and withstood all that shit and got all three of you motherfuckers arrested. So case fucking closed when it comes to Alan Laguerre, the monster of the Miramichi or Miramachi or whichever way you fucking Canucks say it up there. So, Joe, what did you think of Alan Laguerre? I know he's uh, he's not as dreadful as a lot of the people. And again, Episode 43, people, I had to fucking, I had to, that probably was some of the longest note-taking I did. There's over six pages of notes, and none of them are fucking going to be fun to talk about. Mm, yeah, um, not looking yeah, forward so, to that, yeah, motherfucker. Again, Nathaniel Barr-Jones coming, or sorry, Nathaniel Barr-Jonah coming next week. But what did you think of Alan Laguerre? I thought it was interesting. I think it'd be more interesting that if they opened up the case and kind of pinpointed other crimes that may have happened in that same period of time, and seeing if they can be linked back to him. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a possibility. I would imagine, I mean... He's a spree. That, that's what I'm saying. They don't fit an MO. I, it's mostly about location and, and what they can get out of it. Oh, I, I mean, quite sure. For mm-hmm. sure. And then again, I mean, you're still talking about all the tons of other very fucking hard crimes he was doing that you could serve a lot of time for. Yeah. Multiple carjackings, you know, multiple vehicular thefts, multiple assaults and things like that. So, again... Maybe because of the shitty planning and uh, I mean, he was just basically seemed to just be trying to live it up until they fucking caught him. Because again, I don't know how you go through all the difficulty of shoving metal up your ass and convincing people with your while you're at the hospital with an ear infection, let you go take a piss by yourself, pick your locks and you stay in the same area. Yeah, no. I mean, New, New Brunswick is, is, I mean, it's the size of like, you know, a handful of, of like northeastern uh, New England American states. Yeah. That's not a big fucking area. And it also, too, you're not laying low. It's not like you went out into the fucking wilderness of New Brunswick and became like a fucking, you know what I'm saying? Like a, a hermit out <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, you didn't go like stay that. off no. in a tent or something. No. No, I mean, you're fucking, you're still killing people. And fuck that one time right before you got caught. 
he got an off-duty constable. Like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, dude. Like, I don't know if maybe that was just bad luck and he was in an unmarked car. But still, like, there is, I mean, he just, he just fucking went for it. Yeah, we may never know, but I mean, hell, this is, he could have been a fucking drug addict. He could have just had a real shitty fucking upbringing. Uh, I, mean, I mean, he could have had a lot more crimes even prior to that that oh, he was committing. Sure. Like, there's just so little we actually know. No, and... and a, I found that interesting because also, too, with, you know, during the research, realizing the impact to the Canadian, again, criminal justice system about that was the first time that DNA evidence was used to convict someone and not used to actually, you know, set free someone him. free yeah. or get them off or prove their innocence to the point that where his jail cell and that place was turned into a museum, you know, about DNA evidence. So... He's got a huge impact. Certainly, I guarantee you, anybody that's in Canadian criminal justice yeah, they know knows the about this yeah. dude. But we still know so little. I would probably say if there was anything, I mean, obviously, we all, we all, when we talk about this, almost everybody that we've ever talked about, the childhood set the fucking stage. Yeah, absolutely. And I would probably venture to say that's the same here. Mm -hmm. And more than likely, that's why nobody came out and wanted to talk about it. Mm -hmm. the, the family was probably somewhat reclusive because, I mean, you don't have nosy neighbors giving updates on the family or talking about like, oh, he was such a sweet boy or, oh, he was such a shithead. Nobody. Yeah. So I, I would I would have to say that it's, you know, this is one of those areas where I would, you know, usually say no news is good news. Probably not here. No. Probably no news is being like, oh, fuck, we really fucked up, Alan. Uh, don't anybody say a fucking thing. Well, yeah, being raised by a single mother, I mean, it, it's not that it's a bad thing. I'm not saying that, but it does leave kids tend to have a little bit more free time especially if mom hasn't set it up you tend to get in a lot bit more trouble when you ain't got parents around i know but you don't even have like random classmates talking about like oh he was just a quiet kid or he was a wallflower and shit like that so I, he was be, killing from back then because that motherfucker looks crazy as shit in his mugshot. Yeah. I don't know how anybody trusted him to go to the bathroom by themselves no. or by himself. Well, that's Canada for you. <laughs> like, oh, he's okay. Yeah, well, you know, I don't, don't, I don't want anybody to be up in there while I'm trying to take a pee. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, but that wraps up episode 42 about Alan Laguerre, the monster of the Miramichi. I uh, hope y'all enjoyed it again. I know it's a little bit shorter. For some of y'all, you're going to be very thankful for that. <laughs> but for the rest of you guys that like a little more meat on the bone, make sure you're back next week. And again. I said, this is the thin bitch. Next week is the oh, thick bitch. <laughs> oh, my God. Next next week is a fucking semi-truck, dreadheads. I'm honestly not even looking forward to it. And you better really pre-read pre those notes. I will. Because there's some fucked up stuff in there. But we hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget. Episode 41 about Colin Ireland, the gay slayer, is also up if you haven't checked that one out yet. And then, of course, the revamp, uh, revamped Fright Flick, Fuck, Mary Kill, where we cover the house that Jack built. Definitely check that out on YouTube and BitChute. And this upcoming Friday, the next episode of Fright Flick, Fuck, Mary Kill will cover Terrifier 1. And then as Terrifier 2 becomes available for streaming on Halloween, the Friday, the Friday after Halloween... Fright, uh, Fright Flick, Fuck, Mary Kill is going to cover Terrifier 2. And again, spoilers, episode 43 is about the pedo cannibal chef, Nathaniel Barjona. Do your research if you would like, or if you want to be completely fucking smacked in the head by a 2x4 listening next week, we encourage that as well. Joe, one more time, what's the place for all things dreadful on the internet? Spreadthedreadpodcast.com. Absolutely. Find links to our podcast platforms, our YouTube, our BitChute, our donations, our store. All of that stuff, and there's a podcast player right up on the site, so you can also stream everything from there. 
Uh, once again, big shout out to Marcus, our newest dreadhead, and be sure to check out the Paper Prophet for really goofy, awesome, fucking rad horror fucking designs on IG. Anything else? No, that's it. All right. I'm John. And I'm Joe. And thank you so much for tuning in. It's fucked up out there, dreadheads. So you leave the dread to us. Every one of y'all stay proud, stay powerful, stay positive, and get out there and wreck that shit. Why don't you start right now and get the fuck out of here?